0: Uh, September Vision Series uh, that we've called Generous Church uh, today, looking at generous in our serving. Um, this series, we've said each week has been rooted in the grace of God in His gospel. It's, it, it starts and finishes in the, in the finished work of the gospel, in Jesus' generous love towards us, his kindness towards us, uh, towards us, all of his shaping of us means that, that we have a new shape as disciples uh, in the way we respond to him and our worship in the way we respond to one another, in our love for one another, in in our relationship with our money and our possessions, and in our serving. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Again, thank you so many of you, I know, prayerfully considering and reviewing your financial giving as a part of your worship after last Sunday's teaching. Again, if you missed that, you can listen online. We've got um, forms, again, on the table outside if you didn't get a chance to take those. If you're um, praying about helping us close this gap, in our income, as well as stewarding with faith towards some of the 2020 vision and goals that God's given us. Um, today, as last week, with serving as it was with giving, I'll just unpack for you a few biblical principles, um, and then we'll look at how does it work here, and of course, what are we asking one another to do? That's the plan this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, that's where we get all our teaching from, um, to Matthew chapter 20, and uh, we'll pick up at verse 20. Verse 20 make may come up on the screen if you haven't got a Bible with you. Um, then the mother of Zebedee's sons, I always wanted a son called Zebedee. Um, we never got that, that far through the alphabet. Um, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favour of him. What is it you want? he asked. And she said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup? that I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong for those for whom they've been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard about this, the other disciples, they were indignant uh, with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Lord Jesus, we come to the servant king, the one who's faithful with all his promises. We welcome you to speak deep into our hearts today, to break us out of every wrong bit of thinking that we have with regard to this aspect of the gospel and to teach us and show us again what it means to be a community together, serving here and serving in the world. Amen. The context of this passage, as ever, with Jesus' teaching, is the the kingdom of of God. Um, It gives us an understanding of how the the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ is going to spread across planet Earth. Um, And it highlights for us a massive difference between the, the kingdom of God and how that operates and the kingdoms of this earth and how they operate. The context of these verses, if you read back uh, a few uh, chapters before in Matthew's Gospel, you find Jesus building up on these themes. Uh, Matthew nineteen twenty-eight. Jesus is talking about the day when he will return, uh, having risen and ascended. And he says, I'm going to sit on a throne and my 12 disciples will sit on thrones as well in, in positions of authority. Um, and he seems to indicate it's the hope for all of us to sit with this kind of authority, all those who leave everything behind, every other allegiance to follow Jesus Christ. He speaks about, in the verses preceding this, the first Becoming last, Um, the many who are last becoming first. This is revolutionary kingdom teaching. It's an idea that is dependent and only works if we have a savior who himself, though he is first, becomes the last. One who, I think, to quote last week's passage in 2 Corinthians, one who, though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor, so that we through his poverty might become rich. One who in chapter 20, verses 18, 19, is telling his disciples, I'm ready to go to the cross, the place of Roman execution. I'm ready to go and be beaten and whipped and killed. The, the first, the Alpha and Omega, the one who was in the beginning, the Lord of all glory, becoming the last. Philippians 2 says, humbling himself to death, even death on a cross. Friends, this is the nature of the kingdom that we're called to serve in. If if we don't understand this kind of backdrop, then we're not going to understand Christian serving in any way other than through the kind of warped lens of our 21st century culture. And as we've been saying right through this series, that stuff is so ingrained in us. Um, we were saying last week with regard to giving, and it's true of serving as well, this uh, kind of contract idea we have all the time. What As I serve, what's in it for me? What, what exchange is it? If I serve you, if I scratch my back, you'll scratch yours, all that kind of stuff. Um, if, if it doesn't work out, therefore, if it doesn't fully satisfy me, I get to, sorry, if English isn't your first language, that's a weird expression. I'm not asking you to scratch my back. It's a a statement that speaks about the exchange that happens. You help me, I help you. Uh, This kind of contract idea. Um, But if it doesn't work, we give up, we walk away. If we're not satisfied, we grumble. Um, We live in a society where we are more self-centered than ever before. It's a consumer culture. It's a service culture. Everything gets reviewed. Do you know, even churches get reviewed? We've got Google reviews online about us. Five stars. Thank you, whoever put those up there. Um, pro- probably even, even this sermon gets reviewed. I don't know. I'm not going to look. It's probably a ratemysermon.com website. Maybe someone right now is tweeting one star. Rubbish so far. I don't know. Um, listen, this attitude is what the Bible calls idolatry. Um, it affects us in our churches, it affects you and I in our workplaces, it affects us in our homes, our family life, our friendships, our marriages. Everything is about me. Everything is about my preferences. I am at the center of my own universe. I am the God here with a small g who must be pleased. My needs must be met and satisfied. And as we've said, when something isn't to my liking, whether it's something trivial, we get so angry straight away, don't we? What what do you mean my skinny Sawyer latte with a double shot of something or other is going to take three minutes? What do you mean? It's too warm, it's supposed to be cooler. Don't you know that we we get so upset, don't we, with the most trivial of things? Never mind the significant things in life, when a relationship becomes hard work, where there's pressure on us. No wonder we turn away so easily. No wonder we think things are broken. We throw it away, it's not perfect, I'll chuck it away. We're disposable, we give up. Listen, what we've just read in the Gospels tells us that the kingdom view is the very opposite of this. We follow a Saviour who's exchanged himself. He's laid down voluntarily his priorities. He's laid aside his glory for us. His his service was rejected. He was humiliated. At the cross, there's no cheerleaders, no appreciation, no honouring of Jesus Christ. There's no applause. But there's an amazing kingdom miracle that goes on in these moments. Um, this, This ultimate act of service for us, where Jesus dies and is raised on the third day, it turns out that it's for our sakes it turns out that, as Jesus teaches in this passage, that it, it might be because he is a ransom for us, um, that he is going to find a way out for us of all the shame and the separation of sin and all the self-absorption that we live under. Out of our selfishness, through this generous love, we get to have our whole lives turned around so that we might be those who can serve him with joy, with obedience, with faithfulness, with endurance, with commitment, all the things that we struggle with in our culture of the world. The very opposite. This story, as we get to Matthew 20, um, gives us some amazing insights into the kingdom and some incredible insights into the age-old relationship between mothers and And their ambitions for their boys. Um, There is something in in this in this Hebrew culture about a respect for the older woman um, and also the opportunity in this culture for women themselves to be able to ask for outrageous things that men wouldn't be allowed to ask for. I think you see glimpses of that in the story of Esther back in the Old Testament. Certainly, Jesus tells the story of the persistent widow. It's not a dissimilar idea. Uh, And what what, uh, this the mother, she's called Salome, actually, we find elsewhere in other Gospels, what Salome does for her boys, it could seem like quite a natural request, unless we've understood, beginning to understand, how God's kingdom works. Her boys, James and John, they're already in the circle of trust. They're already in the three of the twelve with Peter. And Peter's had a, bit, a little bit of a bad track record recently. He's been rebuked a few times. So, you know, maybe there's a way through for her boys to take the, the positions of honour. If there are twelve thrones, then maybe, you know, my boys could be right and left if Peter's uh, on his way to the back of the queue uh, a little bit. Um, and they're obviously in agreement with her, though in this gospel it's, it's mum that speaks. Have you noticed when Jesus answers her? He answers in the plural. They're there hiding behind her hoping for a good answer. If it's not, they'll probably duck down again, say, Mom, what are you doing? That's outrageous, um, like we do, us boys. And uh, Jesus answers them. I I wonder what's in her thinking, what's in their thinking here? Well, it's all the stuff we've been talking about. It's the the ways of the world, uh, position, power, um, influence, control. It's Game of Thrones stuff, quite literally, here. Uh, The 12 thrones, the two thrones. Um, It's all the ways the world thinks and operates, It's how things get done. Um, It's how the wheels turn. But it's, the as we've been learning, the complete opposite of how it is for a disciple of Jesus Christ. And and Jesus' response in this story shows they've totally missed the point. I I think for most of the disciples, um, they keep opening their mouths through all the interactions with Jesus and then realise as he responds, oh yeah, we've missed the point again. Oh yeah, we've missed the point again. And that seems to be their learning curve all the way through until the Holy Spirit makes things clear to them after Jesus has ascended. Here, they've missed the point again. Jesus says in verse 22, Can you take the cup um, that that I'm going to drink? The cup here, it often is in Scripture, is a metaphor, a picture of suffering. Jesus is saying, I'm going to to suffer. He's already been teaching them that before he um, reigns and rules in glory... He's going to suffer and die. Before we get to the 12 thrones bit, there's a bit of suffering to come first. My path is leading to the cross. The path for us as disciples is to take up our cross and to follow him. Earlier on in Matthew 16, Jesus says you save your life by losing it. If you lose your life by Jesus in order to gain life, what what does it offer you To, to gain the whole world but to lose your soul? Can you drink this cup? Jesus is saying... And these boys, maybe they're just fueled by youthful bravado. Maybe they did understand. I think they've missed the point. They say, yes, we can, like you do when you're in your early 20s and pumped up full of zeal. Um, yes, we can. Not worried about the consequences. Let's just go for it. We'll take the, Where's the cup? We'll drink the cup. That kind of attitude that they've got. As I say, I don't think they got it till later when the Holy Spirit opened their eyes. And Jesus seems to, he does treat them gently. He does seem to affirm them. He says, yeah, in verse 23, you will drink the cup. They did drink the cup. James, who was so eager here, we find by the time we get to Acts chapter 12, the story of the early church after Jesus has ascended and sent his spirit, James in Acts chapter 12 is one of the first Christian martyrs because of his strong faith. He drinks the cup, he loses his head under Herod's persecution, painful, desperate persecution for many that meant people like James lost their life. John drank the cup, he lived to an old age, a ripe old age, but lived through all kinds of unspeakable trials, as a follower of Jesus in those early decades through um, persecution first from the Jews and then from the Roman Empire. John ends his life in exile away from his friends and his community for his faith on the Isle of Patmos. They drank the cup of suffering. They shared in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of the kingdom, even though in this moment, hiding behind mom, they could never have imagined it. The others, verse 24, are angry, of course, um, jealous, probably. Wishing they thought about pushing their mums forward first, definitely. Um, and, and Jesus then, just he, as he often does, he, he sets out his stall and then he says, look, come here, I'm going to explain what I really mean. And so he gathers the 12 in and in verse 25, let's just remind ourselves, he called them together and said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. He reminds them, here's how it works. Kingdom of this world, position, power, influence. To have authority is to lord it over. Um, it's to exercise authority. You've, you've arrived in this world if you can demand service. If they already know my name, as the automatic Starbucks doors open, they've already got my skinny soya latte, I don't like those, by the way, don't buy me one, uh, lined up with your name on, even as they see you walking through. You've arrived in the world if you get that kind of service. Jesus says that's how it is amongst the Gentiles, the people who are not the people of God. We're not saying, actually, by the way, authority structures are a bad thing in the world. They are necessary and right. They're given by God for our our good. We submit to them. But what Jesus is saying is that secular uh, secular values don't define who disciples of Jesus Christ are. Um, For us, true greatness is the reverse of what the world cheers and champions. I was reading from R.T. France, a Bible scholar. He says, he puts it this way, um, self-importance, the desire to be noticed and respected, the ambition to make your mark, to impose your will on others. This is the value scale of the rat race, not the kingdom of Christ. Tick the boxes with me, please. Let me just read that again. Self-importance, the desire to be noticed and respected, the ambition to make your mark, to impose your will on others, the value scale of the rat race, not the kingdom of Christ. As I read that this week, it it shone a light on my heart, some of the ugly places of my heart, maybe yours Today, as well, we're so conditioned to think and act that way. And so, discipleship from the moment of our baptism, baptism's next Sunday, from the moment we go down into the water, we die to our old life. We're we're saying daily, as your disciple, Jesus, I'm going to die to these old attitudes. That moment in baptism where I first rebelled against the culture and the ways of the world, I died, I lived for Christ. Now, every day, I'm going to rise again and choose to live for Christ and, and walk away as a true disciple of Jesus. Uh, from the conditioning of the world with the help of the Holy Spirit. here's how Jesus says we are to live. Not so with you, verse 26. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this is how it operates in the world, Jesus says. Not so with you. Every time you or I feel the, the spirit of this age stirring us to ambition, ungodly ambition, the need to impress another, even the need to impress your mother, um, maybe we should recall these four important words of Jesus to his disciples, not so with you. I'm pointing at my wife there. <laughs> that, I, I don't know why. She, just, she caught my eye because she's beautiful. Um, I wasn't making a preaching point. <laughs> I, I could point at all of you and myself If I could. (laughs) Not so with you. (laughs) These disciples um, were beginning to understand there's an alternative kingdom. There's a Christ-like ambition we get to learn and train ourselves in. They were arguing um, for position and prominence. 2,000 years later, disciples of Jesus Christ still jockey for position and prominence. But Jesus measures greatness in terms of our service. God determines our greatness by... How we serve and how many we serve, rather than how many people serve us. Greatness through serving. Being the first by becoming the last, a slave. Slave is a strong word. We heard it right. It's there in the passage. The Greek word that gets translated in our English Bibles, slave, is doulos. It's an important word. Um, it's more than just being a servant. Um, a slave is the property of his master or her master. A slave has no call of their own. They're at their master's call. A slave has no rights of his own. Jesus says, your greatness in this kingdom comes from you becoming like this kind of slave. I've read some um, studies this week on this passage, and some um, modern theologians are saying you you can't use this analogy of slavery today. It's insensitive, um, and... uh, You know, we're we're rightly attacking modern slavery, people trafficking, human trafficking. It's insensitive and unhelpful to use this kind of analogy now. We wish it could just be airbrushed out of the Bible. It it may make us uncomfortable. In fact, it ought to, because the things I've just mentioned are terrible things, and we're right to fight to see them changed. But it's a wonderful doctrine, of leaving behind the slavery of sin. I don't think we can talk about leaving the slavery of sin if we're not also talking about becoming slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't have it both ways. You can't be gloriously liberated from something without being joined to another wholeheartedly, Jesus Christ our Lord. And certainly Jesus and the apostles, Paul particularly, they both spoke freely about this beautiful liberation of slavery to sin, and slavery to Christ. They did so into a culture which had many slaves. Most people think that the Roman Empire, um, at some points, had about 40% of its population as slaves. Many of the people that Jesus would have read this gospel, where Jesus speaks here, would have read Paul's letters to the early churches, would have been slaves and servants in the early churches. This isn't cultural insensitivity. The point Jesus is making is that in his kingdom we become the lowest of the low in order to be like Jesus Christ. Like he was, laying down his life, laying aside his own rights, laying down his privilege, taking on the nature of a servant, even a slave, becoming obedient to death. This kind of slavery is what we're called to. Utterly subjecting our will to Christ as he subjected his will to the Father. We've been rescued from the slavery to sin. It's a one If you don't know the gospel, the good news of Jesus, this is good news. We are slaves to sin. You you have no way of saying no to your old slave master sin, but Jesus Christ has become a ransom for us. We've been brought at a price, the price of Jesus' own perfect life, out of slavery, but we've been joined to another, Jesus himself. He pays the slave price. He's ransomed us in order to release the many who accept that sacrifice uh, of his sins, uh, of him dying on the cross for our sins. He's our new master now. The, the re- hallelujah, that's, that's, that's a good shout. The Gospel's good news, isn't it? W- when we say Jesus is Lord, and, and one of the ways we become a Christian is by confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Romans tells us that. The, the word for Lord there that's translated in our English Bibles is kurios. And always you see the word doulos, slave, and kurios, Lord, go together. The two go together. The slave and the Lord and the master. It gives us an insight to Jesus' Lordship. When we respond to his headship, his absolute ownership, of our lives as a slave. No wonder when we say Jesus is Lord, he tells us you can't serve two masters. You're not just a servant of Jesus Christ. We're slaves. We've been utterly brought into him. Um, We have only one master now, only one Lord, only one instruction, and that's to follow in his pattern. We've got no option but to abandon forever and hunt down in our lives diligently any old ambition, any other way that takes us away uh, towards our old master of sin and, and worldly thinking. This Lordship of Jesus Christ is, is a huge issue. And if we're ever going to serve one another in this way and, and serve the world around us, we, we have to get the Lordship of Christ first. I don't think we can serve one another in the way Jesus invites us to, commands us to. I don't think we can serve one another like the Son of Man, like a slave, giving ourselves up, laying ourselves down, unless, oh, thank the Lord... <laughs> unless our hearts are beginning to get changed by the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. If God's shaping our hearts as his disciples, then we're beginning to get shaped for servanthood rather than for self-centeredness. Um, maybe, just maybe, we won't be tempted so much and any longer to use our position, our authority, for personal gain or, or, or to say, I'm exempt from that. It's that kind of serving's beneath me. That's for someone lower down the, the pile. Maybe, just maybe, as we get our hearts shaped by the gospel, we begin to be able to serve in that way. I don't think we can serve as a church community like this unless we can begin to trust that other disciples are also being shaped in this way. Um, Otherwise, like this disciple crowd, this rabble we read about in Matthew 20, otherwise amongst us, we let ambition rise. We start pushing ourselves forward. We begin to abuse one another. We take advantage. We step over each other to get to the positions. I don't think we can serve in family life and friendships. Certainly can't serve in marriage without understanding this amazing aspect of the gospel. How can I, as a husband, lay down my life for my beloved, like Christ has for his church, if I still have ungodly ambition that says this marriage is really about meeting my needs so that I can be served rather than my wife? It's impossible unless I'm beginning to get changed by the gospel. We can't serve this world out here in Crawley that we desperately want to love and serve and bless without knowing the gospel. Otherwise, every time the world rejects us or our message, we'll just shrink back and give up. They don't deserve it anyway. We'll give up on serving. We'll give up on helping. We're not realized, hey, this is the cup that we've said we'll drink from as his disciples. Sometimes we will have favor, amazing blessing and breakthrough. But sometimes we will have misunderstanding, rejection, suffering in many contexts around the world today, like James. Death for the gospel. Certainly we can't serve those that we don't like very much without knowing the gospel. Surely the Saviour who laid down his life for those of us who were his enemies, who hated him, who had our backs turned to him, the one who taught us to love our enemies, surely he expects you and I for our love to be expressed through serving one another, whether we think that the person sitting next to you, living in your house, sitting across from you at work, deserves that service or not. Am I speaking to anyone's heart this morning other than mine? It's a sober message, isn't it? But, yeah, thank you. So how does, how does this get worked out? This is supposed to be a visionary sermon to help us um, think about the way we serve one another in our roles, in the local church, in the community. Here I am talking about dying for the gospel. Uh, dear, I just wanted to put my name down on the tea and coffee committee, and he's talking about martyrdom. What, what's, what's going on? I just want to serve refreshments. But here's what we've got to understand, friends. It's it's not just about getting my name on a rotor. It's not just about filling a slot. It's not just about getting a job done, getting a thank you card, maybe moving up the ladder, maybe leadership, maybe a place on the platform one day. It's about drinking the gospel cup. It's about dying to every old ambition of the world. It's about saying yes to the complete ownership of Jesus Christ. My life is not my own. Uh, Serving him and others by laying down our lives in the same way. I heard an old hymn this week. I was weeping listening to it. Father, take my ransomed life and use it any way you choose. Oh, that one line just cut me to the heart. That's what it's about. It's about the gospel, even as we serve. Having said that, how does it get worked out here? Um, Joe spoke really well a couple of weeks ago, about our one uh, being generous in our one-anothering, and our love for one another, in our relationships, in our acceptance of each other. When we get that right, I I think we begin to serve one another as well in the local church. To paraphrase James later on, if we say, I love you, but we do nothing to help one another, that's not true religion, whether that's in the home, in the church, or out in the world. And just as we're, we're the same here in the local church, just as we are in your home, in your workplace, in your school, There are jobs that need doing. That's how things get moving. Um, It's the same in the local church. And the local church should be the place, ought to be the safe place, where we get to reflect this servant-hearted work of Jesus like nowhere else. Um, Whether it is serving like preaching and teaching whether it's opening our homes, whether it's running a business with a kingdom mindset, um, helping to support the work of the kingdom, whether it's unseen before anyone else gets here, setting up rooms for kids' work or, or the PA and the technical stuff at the back, whether it's leading our worship meetings, meetings whether it's serving drinks on the martyrs uh, refreshments team. Um, here is where our primary love for Jesus gets expressed in the way we serve one another. And because our serving is rooted in Jesus and in our love for him, it's actually another expression of our worship. You, you may have heard it said, you may have said it yourself, I think I probably have. People say, oh, I missed the worship this morning because I was, I was serving in kids' church. Well, you've heard that, yeah? Um, we understand what we mean when we say that, but actually we've participated in worship Um, serving is our worship. We're serving Jesus Christ. When we serve our children uh, out of love for Jesus and out of love for one another, I think the Lord accepts that as worship. And so that fundamentally changes how we approach being a church that is looking for everyone to participate in serving, because it's about the gospel. Because it's about the grace of God, because it's about worship. We are rescued, as we said last week, with financial giving from appeals mentalities, with finances or serving. It's not about duty. It's not about rotors. It's not uh, rotors. That's it's good to say, isn't it? <laughs> um, I like that. I'll do that again. It's not about guilt. Uh, we, guilt trips are gone. It's about love for Jesus Christ. and uh, We get to serve with freedom and joy. Um, I hope gone are the days where we guilt trip people into getting their name on a serving r- 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 rotor. Um, you know that idea. I, I, I hope I haven't said this in churches in the past. If we don't find someone for youth work, then this ministry is going to have to shut down. Uh, is there someone, someone here, who uh, do I hear? It? Do I, uh, oh, thank you, thank you. you know, that's, that's, not, that's not worship. Um, there's no life in that. It's guilt. It's duty. It's manipulation. They're, they're old kingdom values. And aside from that, it doesn't work anyway. Um, We end up with good-hearted people who are already serving in a dozen different other things who think, well, I ought to come forward because there's a need. Or we get someone who is just not suitable because they're not really carrying any real faith or vision for the role, but they're happy to see a gap met. It's it's not going to flourish in that way, is it? That kind of serving for the kingdom. In fact, it's a form of legalism, and we know from the Gospels that legalism never produces fruit. But as for me, it doesn't matter as a leader. I can put a tick on my spreadsheet. A job is filled. Youth ministry is covered. Um, Send them down the corridor and forget all about it but we're hoping for serving that produces life and flourishing and all the beauty of the kingdom expanding as we serve. That kind of old thinking expresses such a low view of serving, a low view of the purpose of our ministry, a low view of people and a really low view of the gospel and yet so many times we've operated in that kind of way. So for us here as, as a local church, we're always asking our weeks of prayer and fasting at the start of each term are helpful for us in this regard as well, because we're saying, God, just remind us again, what have you called us to do? What have you called us to do? What are those things? Who are the people you've given us with their unique giftings and shapings and praying? Lord, would you release the right people with the right measure of faith and vision to serve in all the things that you've called us to do? And the God who's promised to provide does provide both bread on our table and people to serve in the right ministries as well whether it's our building here, all the kind of ministries we're serving in, and I'll read you a list in in a moment, Um, whether you're serving the kingdom vision by serving in kids' work, or teens on a Friday night, or volunteering in Revive, or looking over a business plan for a Zambian farm, all of this is done out of our worship of King Jesus and our laying down our lives for him and for one another. On the table on the way out, you'll find some of these serving in Giving forms, and uh, there's a list there of the main serving needs and teams that God has called us to lead here in Crawley Community Church. These are the teams that we're praying constantly God, would you release the right people and the right leadership? Would you supply in these areas? We've got, uh, and they're in alphabetical order, not order of importance, um, connecting, welcoming people on the Sunday, and helping people find their way into joining this family of the church, the whole area of creative and worship discipleship it includes um, uh, small groups but other types of discipleship freedom in Christ those kinds of things as well development of leaders feed Crawley, Friday friendship jungle tots wow Um, and by the way you don't have to have a toddler to serve in jungle tots you just need to have faith and vision for meeting families who don't you know Jesus and sharing your life with them that's how it works kids church Uh, money management we spoke a little bit about that last Sunday uh, serving into some of the stuff we're connecting in into the nations, pastoral care, uh, the martyrs, uh, refreshments, um, re- revive. Uh, in the shop and the cafe, our outreach in the town centre. Safeguarding team, seedlings, our little ones, setting up these rooms and tearing them down on a, on a Sunday. Small groups, leaders, mentors, those that will help and serve. Solid, our youth work on a Friday night and a Sunday. Here at the Caris Centre, we've got some paid staff, but also just needing those that come in and do hospitality and serve and help and reception, those kinds of things. And of course, our trustees and our stewardship um, I, actually, even just reading those things, I want to say thank you, Jesus, for an amazing church family that serves, yeah. gives generously, that is 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 walking obediently in the call, the massive call that God has given us on His mission. But we want to keep growing in this. And as I finish, we'll come to break bread together in just a few moments. Our practice here increasingly is that we want to encourage people just to serve on one main team. And actually, if we're all serving, there's enough to go around. Um, We sign up to serve for something that we're called and gifted in. There is room for everyone, as we are doing with our financial giving. Can I encourage you to do a bit of a serving review and prayer as well? We have got some teams with particular needs right now. I'm not going to read them out for you. I've read them all out deliberately. But there's also a need just for constant infilling as we're training, developing leaders, releasing people into other areas of ministry. Um, We encourage people to serve on one main team only, recognize some people have more capacity than others, different stages of life, all that kind of stuff where you can do more. But we think it's a really good principle um, that we serve with freedom, joy, that you've actually got time to pray for what you're doing, that you've got some energy to think about it and plan and prepare. It probably is okay and have room to lead in one, say, lead a small group and to be part of another team, say, help with the connect and welcome team on a Sunday. But I think to lead in two or three areas becomes very difficult because we're also saying we want to have room for hospitality, family life, working well in our our day jobs, friendships, uh, serving out in the world and in the community. Um, we really do want to encourage serving in the world as well. We want to defeat forever the idea that we... Uh, I grew up within churches that you're only serving in the kingdom of God if you serve within the four walls of the local church. That, that, that's not a biblical kingdom idea. Um, there's real value and worth in what you do in your job, never mind volunteering at Crawley Open House or wherever. And one of the reasons why we try to leave some space and say, serve on one main team uh, and leave some space in the church diary is that the... Um, It's not because these ministries aren't important, they're really important, but it's because God has also called you and I into our workplaces, our streets, our jobs, our sports clubs, our community volunteering, our friendship groups. Because we value family, because we value friendship, because we value work, because we value the big mission into our community, we don't expect all your energy to be spent, just a few serving in the local church. I've been reviewing my week with the elders team who speak into my life, very gently and lovingly, uh, they do. Um, and uh, actually, Chris and I have been talking with the elders. And I, I, I expect my week um, to look like usually a Sunday night is busy or out. Um, usually, there's a, um, um, a serving team evening where I'll be with a team of some sort. Um, there's an elders team evening, small group. Um, some evenings where we do hospitality. What what we're trying to do, what I'm trying to do with my diary, even when I'm at my busiest, is to make sure there's no more than four nights where I'm giving myself to serving outside of my work hours because these kinds of values are really important to us. Um, In fact, the elders have said to Chris and I through this next season, while there's a lot of stuff going on, um, for us in terms of small group life, our small group is going to be our eldership team once a week on a Tuesday night, meeting with six to 12 people who'll speak into our lives, who'll do us good, who'll care for us, who'll pray for us and will expect us to do the same as well. Because of our commitment to the bigger mission and the bigger vision and to friendship and family and community life, that's how our small group is going to work out over the next term or two. So, we're encouraging you, find your key giftings. Find what God's called you to serve in. Rejoice in it. Please serve. But, and I'll leave the last word to Rick Warren, the American pastor, we also just encourage one another by being willing and being ready as servants. Uh, Joel, another way you just brought ribbons down to the front this morning after your kids had gone out. Was that because you were on the ribbon collection ministry team? <laughs> I, we don't have one, by the way. Um, nor are we going to start one. No, it's because Joel saw a need and he got up and he got on with it in a really simple way. Big shout to Joel for the ribbons. Um... <laughs> Rick Warren says, God often tests our hearts by asking us to serve in ways we're not shaped to. If you see a man fall into a ditch, God expects you to help him out and not say, I don't have the gift of mercy or service. <laughs> <laughs> While he may not be gifted for a particular task, you may be called to do it if no one else is gifted around at the moment. Your primary ministry should be in the area of your gifting, as we've been saying. But have your eyes open. Your secondary service is wherever you're needed right now. Your gift reveals your ministry, but your servant's heart will reveal your maturity. Rick Warren's great with those kind of phrases. Your gift reveals your ministry, your servant's heart reveals your maturity. No special talent or gift is required to stay after a meeting, to pick up rubbish, stack chairs, hoover carpets. Anyone can be a servant. All it requires is character. And he finishes by saying, it's possible to serve in a church for a lifetime without ever being a servant. You must have a servant's heart. How can you know if you do have the heart of a servant. Jesus said, you can tell what they are by what they do. Can we stand together? May it be said of us, Crawley Community Church, they can tell who we are by what we do. Can I encourage you, please, pick up a serving and giving form, review, pray, talk to ministry leaders, but most of all, disciples, let's worship Jesus in our serving. Let's love one another. Let's serve, let's give, let's bless the world around us. If, like me, you know, wow, Jesus, I want to get hold of this, would you just lift your hands before the Lord? Lord, I repeat that line to you from the song. Joe, maybe you can not lift your hands and come and grab a guitar. <laughs> Lord, would you take our ransomed lives and use them in any way you choose? We tell you we are yours. We belong to you. We're yours to direct. We're yours to lead. Lord, thank you you freed us from our old slavery and thinking. Thank you that we're dead to the old control, power, and influence. Lord, we agree together this morning, and we want to get up every day agreeing this, that yours now is our ambition. Your glory is our reward. Your purpose, our mission, our serving of others, our roles in the church, the use of our time, our volunteering, our workplaces, our homes. They belong to you, Lord Jesus. And may all that we do in them flow from your leadership and ownership of our lives. May your greatness and love be that, that was so generously demonstrated on the cross flow out of every aspect of my life and shine bright into every context where i have the joy of serving you lord would you rescue us from being a church that just tries to get jobs done and fill rotors? may we be a church community that serves faithfully and joyfully with called and gifted people in every ministry that you've given us lord jesus thank you all we have is you Lord, we're disciples that have misunderstood you, that have missed the point, that have got it wrong. But we agree together this morning, Jesus, you're our life, you're our hope, you're our everything. Fill us with your spirit. Change our hearts. Lord Jesus, we pray for an ongoing baptism of the spirit that enables us daily, every day, to have our lives and our attitudes and our ambitions shaped by the gospel into the likeness of Christ. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we get to cooperate with you in this work of generously serving and giving into the growth of your kingdom. Amen. Amen. As we finish just by singing an amazing worship song and reveling in the gospel, we're going to break bread together. There's no better way of remembering and recognizing that we serve one another by coming to remember in the symbolism of the bread and wine that Jesus himself laid down his life for us. His body, as we tear the bread, was broken. His, uh, his blood spilt as we, thank you, Tone, as, we, uh, as we drink The wine. And so maybe you just want to pray for one another um, as we do so, encourage one another. We're going to pull the tables out, get around them, don't queue, um, but let's enjoy sharing.